Good evening, everybody, and welcome to College Facebook Live. This is a series dedicated to bringing parents and families better information about higher education and better access to college admissions. I'm Kelsey Tarosian. Tonight, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome you and very, very excited about our upcoming discussion about the importance of, the co uh, of college admissions and the holistic review with admissions veteran Gary Clark, Director of Undergraduate Admissions at UCLA. For any of you who don't know who we are, College is a private admissions advisory group where college admissions professionals working with families and students anywhere on their path to higher education. Our work, of course, helps students identify and apply to best fit colleges, but what it also does is it really ignites their deeper passion and their potential during their journey along that path. Without any further ado, I'm going to invite our wonderful panelists to join the stream. First, I want to introduce Jenny Umhofer, who is our owner and founder and our host tonight. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, thank you, Kelsey. Thank you. Next, I am very pleased to introduce Gary Clark, who is the Director of Undergraduate Admission at UCLA. Hi, Gary. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing good, thanks. Good, so anyone not familiar with Gary, I wanna tell you a little bit about him. Um, he has served in the college admissions profession for actually over 20 years. He began his career at his alma mater, Christopher Newport University, and then at College of William and Mary, both in Virginia, for anybody who doesn't know. Um, he then joined the admission office at Pitzer College in Claremont, which is where he worked for six years before joining the admissions staff at USC. After seven years there, he joined UCLA in his current role in November of 2012. So um, not only is he an admissions veteran, but he's been the director of undergraduate admissions at UCLA for some time now. Um, so without further ado, I want to hand it over to you guys and um, looking forward to listening to your conversation. Great. Thank you. Thanks Thank so much, you. Kelsey. <laughs> Gary, it's so good to see you. Uh, Gary and I, um, we both worked at UCLA, but at different times, and we know a lot of the same people. And I believe the last time we were together was for my radio show many years ago, where Gary had the, was the most wonderful guest um, that I could ever ask for. So thank you so much for being willing to talk with me again, Gary. My pleasure, happy to do it. So, wow, that's all I have to say, lots has changed. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> did you ever think you'd see this much movement away from standardized tests and towards holistic admissions? You know, it's it, it's interesting. I think um, there's there's been a lot of discussion and I think kind of movement towards towards test optional, but a lot of it has really been just that. It's been discussion. You know, places are thinking about it, considering it. And, and as, as awful as COVID-19 has been, and certainly it, it has been for, for many, many people, you know, I think it, it in some ways gave colleges permission to just make that final decision, to finally decide, yes, you know, for all of these appropriate reasons, we are going to move towards a, a test optional uh, process, you know, for, for the health and safety of students and uh, the, the fact that so many administrations had been canceled at that time. I think it really gave colleges uh, almost permission to make that choice. So I think it really sped it up. Um, you know, if it hadn't been for that, there may have still been a slow movement in this direction. Um, but I think the the really pronounced uh, change you've seen and, and a lot that you've seen in the news around colleges making this move, I think has really been prompted uh, by the pandemic. The, the interesting question will be to see 
over the next several years, hopefully post COVID, um, you know, do colleges stick with that test optional approach? Is it a temporary thing or is it something that's going to be a more permanent decision for lots of colleges and universities? So, um, so yeah, no, I, I would not have, uh, at the beginning of this academic year, I would have had uh, no, no guess that this many colleges would have moved in this direction. Here, here, right? That's so true. Um, and yes, I mean, we know that the pandemic is obviously driving a lot of this movement towards test optional. Um, but I wonder if you can talk about some other reasons why schools have considered going test optional. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there's been discussion around standardized testing since there's been standardized testing and, and the role that it can and should play in an admission process. This is something that, that you see in the faculty at the University of California really took up, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago to really explore, you know, what, what role should standardized testing play? What, what are the benefits and drawbacks of, of considering an exam? You know, I think there's there, there are lots of good reasons why a school might decide to, to either keep or, or move away from the exam. I think when you have a standardized test and a, a national high school curriculum that is not standardized, you know, we don't, we generally, you know, students in K-12 learn similar things at potentially similar times, but there's nothing akin to standardization in the way that students are taught or learn uh, in K-12 in this country. And then I think there have been lots of questions about, you know, who is advantaged or disadvantaged by standardized testing? Um, you know, what role do other characteristics in a student's life play in their access to preparation uh, and their performance on standardized testing? And, you know, is, is, is what it adds to the evaluation of an application worth some of those drawbacks, you know, considering all the things that a college or university might look at or consider in an admission process that are probably over a, a much longer stretch of a student's life, um, how do you compare that and square it with an exam that they take for, you know, three or four hours on, on, a, on a given day? Um, so I think that's why colleges are really, I think, more open to the idea of, of looking at a process that does not include standardized testing or, or at minimum give students the option to decide if they think something, if they think standardized testing is really something that presents a strength for them or not. Sure. Uh, people use the term holistic admission a lot. It's another term that has been out there. And I think it may mean different things to different people. I'm wondering if you can talk about what it means to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's been interesting as I've, I've worked at different places of different sizes and, and size staff and application volume throughout my career. Um, it's, it's meant something very similar and on one hand and, and very different in others. Um, I think what it means is that, that the college or university is committed to a process that they're really reading and considering the whole application. Um, and, and I think that that may sound like a very simple statement, but it's something that really takes a lot of commitment on the part of colleges and universities to do. Um, the, the volume of content that, that we have to consume in a fairly limited time frame, um, you know, puts a lot of pressure on an institution to really stick to those values. Um, you know, there are many institutions that, you know, and, and it's, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing if I, if I say it this way, like there are places that are not super highly selective institutions that can fill a large portion of their class by looks by saying, look, if you meet these basic minimum thresholds, welcome. You know, you're you're you can enroll at our institution. So I, I don't I think that's a good thing. Um, but I think for places, especially that as you tend to to look more towards the highly selective institutions, I think what we're saying to to students is that we're doing everything we can to consider the whole student. You know, certainly there are quantitative factors in an application, grades, um, curriculum 
standardized testing, big asterisk next to that, especially for, for the coming cycles. Um, but there are also a number of qualitative things in the application that really add something valuable that helps us to, to not only determine who's a good fit for our community, but to predict what kind of student might be successful and contribute to the campus community that we, that we offer. So when schools ask students to write essays or personal insight questions or for places that collect letters of recommendation or, or want to interview students or that type of thing, that's not fluff. I mean, that's, that's helpful information that, that allows the college to really know the student beyond just a set of numbers. Um, and, and to really know who's the individual behind that, um, you know, those, those set of numbers and, and how do we think they as a person will contribute both in and out of the classroom on our campus. It's tougher to really dig deep on that when you maybe only have a couple of numbers to consider. So holistic just means um, for us and for the institution I represent now, it means that everything that you fill out and share with us in the UC application is valuable, uh, is insightful, and, and we're going to take the time uh, to, to read it as you've taken the time to really prepare and, and provide us with that information in the app. And I guess, does it take different forms at different schools? Um, I guess that is the, the big <clears throat> question. You know, how is it different or how is it the same? You know, I, I think the, the, the kind of bones of it are, are, have been similar for me at the places where, where I've worked. I think it, it is that commitment to reading everything. It is that commitment to, to being holistic in how we consider the whole student in an application. But the mechanics of how that plays out at different places can be strikingly different. You know, I, when I worked at, at Pitzer at, at that time, this is granted, 20 years ago now, but um, you know, it was six of us sitting around a table with boxes of paper files and we were reading apps together and making admission decisions. Well, I'm, I'm at an institution now that, that receives close to 110,000 freshman applications. There, there isn't a table big enough to hold all the people that read applications for us and, and we can't have those same kind of group conversations in the way that, that you might be able to at a small liberal arts college. The, the value and the commitment is, same, is the same, but the way that we go through that read process um, is, uh, is a little bit different. You know, at every place I've been, and I, I, I feel privileged that this has been the case, but at every place I've been, every app is read at least twice um, you know, before any kind of final decision might be made on an application. And even at wow. a place like UCLA, we maintain that, that same kind of commitment. So that, that takes a lot of resources and, and time and effort, but I think for places that are really committed to, to, to providing that kind of process and, and evaluating students in that way, you, you got to put the resources towards it to make it uh, to make it a really, uh, really valuable reading process. That's actually an incredible feat. I just want to underscore that, you know, you read every application two times. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I genuinely <laughs> do not know how you do it. <laughs> I didn't have glasses before I started at UCLA. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for those students and parents that are listening, um, I'm wondering what are three things that every student should know about holistic admission? as a takeaway? You know, I think as as we, the three, the three things I would want you to remember as, as you think about our process, um, one important word that I use a lot in describing our work is context. Um, as we're reading an application, we're looking at everything in context. And what I mean by that is that, you know, so in the case of like some of the numbers that we talk about, you know, um, you know, a GPA, you know, a, a 3.8 is not a 3.8 is not a 3.8. 
you know, a 3-8 at one school and one kind of curriculum can mean something very different than a 3-8 in another school and a different curriculum. We're not looking at the number as the benchmark of whether we think a student is, is competitive or not. What we're doing is looking, where does the student attend school? What kind of curriculum and opportunities are available to the student in that setting? And then evaluating the degree to which we think the student has taken advantage of some of those courses and at what level have they performed. And that's important because, you know, I think, you know, especially as it relates to UC, I think people always hear these horror stories that like, well, if you don't have a four or five weighted GPA, you're not getting into a UC. And it's like, well, there are some schools where that GPA, you know, might put a student in the second or third decile of their class. And there are other places where a 4.0 is absolutely the highest that you're going to get. And that's, that's, that's the reality of that school because of the way they grade and because of the access to any AP, IB, you know, or honors types classes. So, so our goal in that is really just to understand the school environment and understand the opportunities available to the student before we begin to evaluate um, and, and assess the quality of the academic work that they've completed and present to us in the application. So, so context is, context. is okay. a matter of a lot um, in the way that we, we consider um, credentials in the application. The next one I would say is authenticity. Um, you know, I think when, when, especially as students are thinking about what they write in a college essay or in the personal insight questions or something, I think colleges really wanna see that authentic voice. You know, we want students to spend less time thinking about what it is they think we want to hear, and and more time about you know what it is that they want to say. Um, you know, we we can't you can't reverse engineer admission decisions. You can't say, well, my friend wrote about this, and so and he or she got in, so I'm going to do the same thing, and it's going to work out the same for me. You've got to tell your story, and that's what we want. And I think especially for a place where we don't collect letters of recommendation and we don't interview students, that writing is is the only voice of yours we get to hear in the application. So, so I think authenticity really matters a lot. The last thing I would say is really <clears throat> focus on what you can control. And, and when you're thinking about an application or, or an admission process and how we, how we make decisions, there are gonna be certain things that are just outside of your control. Um, you know, ultimately we're, we're gonna make the decision as to who we think best fits our campus community. So don't, don't stress and worry about the things that you can't control. Focus on what you can. And what you can is telling your story um, performing well, um, you know, focusing on, on your coursework, being thoughtful about what you share with us in the application. These are things that you can control. Um, what you can't control is the ultimate decision. Um, and, and you can't control things that are already in the past. You know, maybe you stumbled in a class a, a year or two ago and, and that's, you, you're stressed about that and you're worried about that. Can't control it. Nothing you can do about that. Don't worry about it. You know, you can write about it and maybe mention what happened and, and give us some context in the application, but can't change it. So I think I, I would tell students, you know, apply to a broad group, have a good list of colleges that you think really might fit you and, and focus on the things that you can control in the process and don't spend any time stressing about the things that you can't. So wise. So wise. <laughs> I think that's that's th those are words of wisdom for all of us, perhaps <laughs> right now. Maybe I can follow my own advice. Right. What kinds of students would you say truly benefit uh, from a move away from tests and towards holistic admissions? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, there, there are lots of students who maybe feel like standardized testing is, is just not a reflection of, of their best academic work. Um, you know, a, a standardized test to, to varying degrees are, are tied or not tied to um, the kind of work that you feel like you're doing in the classroom. 
And I think there's a lot of anxiety that comes in, in test taking and, and that varies for individuals. Some people are super anxious about taking exams. You know, I don't know that there are any of us that aren't concerned at all. I think everybody gets a little nervous about, about a standardized, standardized test. But I think what, who this benefits are, are students that might have looked at, you know, colleges and universities and, and, and maybe even highly selective colleges and universities and said, you know, looked at those middle 50% of SAT scores or ACT scores and said, you know, how that seemed, those numbers seem really high. That makes me nervous. I'm out. I'm just not going to bother applying. You know, and I think that's, we, we don't want that to happen. I, I would, even in an environment where we required testing, I would always explain to students that, you know, test scores don't make or break the decision. They're, they're one of many things that we look at in an application review process. Um, and even now, I think in a, in a test optional environment, we want students to, to know that if this is something that, you know, is, is real stress inducing for you, or you feel like this is, you know, you're concerned about safety of going to sit for an exam, I, I will tell you openly, I, I don't want you to risk your health or safety to sit for a standardized testing exam for, for my institution. You know, I think if you have a score and you think it's something that represents you well, feel free to submit it. Optional means optional. Um, if you want to submit it and you think it reflects your abilities, go for it. Um, if you don't, please don't, you know, don't submit the score or, and certainly don't try and make some effort to drive to some other part of California or get on an airplane or stress about sitting for an exam. And is it safe in there? And are the conditions, you know, healthy and safe for those taking the exam? Like that's, that's the kind of thing I, I really want students to avoid. So, you know, I, I think it in this especially here and now, I think I hope that test optional benefits students by taking that layer of stress away. Um, you know, whether you feel like testing is your thing or not, you now have the option to say, I'm going to completely opt out of even taking the exam and allow the rest of my application to speak for itself. Wonderful. That's very helpful, Gary. Um, I want to return to something you were touching on earlier. Uh, you know, when I worked at UCLA, I would read about a thousand applications a year, and that's nothing <laughs> at all. That's just a tiny tip of the iceberg uh, compared to, I think you said, 110,000 applications plus per year. Yep. yep. Um, how can you talk a little bit about how you manage a meaningful holistic admissions review? And I think you call it comprehensive review. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you could define. <clears throat> comprehensive review for us um, and uh, and talk a little bit about UCLA. Yeah. So we UC will often use these terms interchangeably, and I, I think it's good to distinguish what each of them means. So, so comprehensive review. Um, the University of California, the, the faculty for UC, have essentially approved 14 criteria um, that they say that, that each of the campuses within the system can consider in making admission decisions uh, for, for first year freshman applicants. And you can, you can find this online and it lists all the 14 criteria. None of it will be particularly surprising as you read through the list, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, these are things that basically give us permission to go well beyond, beyond what would have been like an academic index of GPA and test scores to look at all these other factors and criteria uh, that might help us help to inform us of who the student is and how they might fit uh, with our particular campus. So those are the those are kind of the what of admission within UC. Um, holistic review is really the how. It's the how each campus and each campus might do this a little bit differently. How those campuses take those different criteria, 
put them together in the application and then review them and ultimately make admission decisions. Um, you know, how do we consider them? How do we present them to our readers? What are the things that we're, uh, that we're really valuing in, in our review and, and decision-making process? And they all matter, they all contribute. Um, you know, I think for, for us, you know, I mentioned that we're gonna read every application twice, but you know, we have a small army of people that really read applications for UCLA. These are certainly my staff. We have high school counselors, retired high school counselors who go through a really rigorous training program before we cut them loose to actually read applications. And that two review process is a nice check and balance in the sense that, you know, if Jenny reads the application first, and I read it after her, I can't see how she evaluated the application. So there are two independent blind reviews of the application. We start reading applications right after that November 30th deadline, and we don't stop until late March. Um, and it takes all that time for us to get through all of those reviews of the application, because if the first two readers really don't agree and they kind of evaluate the application very differently, it'll be read by a third reader. Um, you know, so it, it takes time to do that. And if we're going to do it in a way that we're really reading the content of what students are providing in the app, we have to provide the time for our, our readers to do that. So I think it's, you know, it's tough. And I, I don't I, I don't pause at saying that at all. It's really, really tough um, because as applications go up, nobody's given us more days in the calendar. No. <laughs> hours to the day. It, it's still, you know, we still commit to getting decisions out you know, by that late March time period when we release our decisions. And we haven't talked much here, but in addition to those 110,000 freshman apps, we get about 26,000 transfer applications that we're reading in essentially the same kind of time frame, and release those decisions about a month after we release our freshman decision. So it's it's a it's a huge lift, but I, I there's there are a few things I'm more proud of that we do at UCLA than really commit to uh, that, that very thorough kind of read process. Wow. So you basically don't sleep. Is that the November <laughs> no, through we, March? We talk a lot about that time. We, we talk a lot about self-care, but the working hours have to be pretty focused. Yeah. <laughs> um, sort of to switch topics or switch gears a little bit, I was wondering, I was reading a little bit about how Prop 209 might be under repeal um, at the state level for consideration. Um, I'm wondering if you can uh, share your thoughts on this and how this might impact list, uh, the comprehensive review. Um, in the UC system? Sure. So, I mean, for, for anybody who, who might not be aware, Proposition 209 is essentially a state referendum that was passed in the late 90s, I think 96 or 97, um, that, that precludes any state entity in California, including, um, you know, uh, universities, um, from considering race, ethnicity, or gender uh, in, in making any kind of admission decision. Um, so, so currently, you know, it's not something our, our readers aren't able to to know whether, you know, whatever a student's background is. Um, it's not something that we can actively consider or attend to in either the reading of applications or, or in making admission decisions. So, you know, that's, that's the current environment that we're in, you know, especially like, you know, gender as well, you know, women in engineering, that's not something that we can really advocate for or attend to in a, in a specific way in the, in the review process. But I think it's, you know, it's it's certainly the case that we and, and all of the UCs value diversity a great deal in our in our undergraduate experience in all its forms, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation. Like we, we really want students from all walks of life to be a part of our community because we think that really adds to, to the value and, and richness of those discussions that happen uh, in, in our classes. Um, if if it were to be repealed, um, you know, by the voters, then that would essentially just 
allow the University of California or Cal States or any state entity um, to, to decide how they might consider uh, diversity in the context of their admission process. So it would essentially just, you know, the characteristics that we're considering now are here, but if that's repealed, it allow us to consider those in a broader context and, and, and really, um, you know, consider, you know, diversity or, or gender in the case of, uh, of a program that might be underrepresented for, uh, for women in the process. So it, it'll, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be on the ballot. Be in November, is that correct? It is. So wow. it'll be on the ballot in wow. November. This is and, and the we'll year of all years. <laughs> I can't believe it. Um, wow. Thank you for that. Thanks so much for your insights. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, and then the, uh, the other topic I wanted to ask you about, the pandemic, you know, has brought about all these changes in college admissions, but before the pandemic came along, there was something called the college admission scandal. Um, certainly not a laughing matter at all. How has the admissions process changed as a result of the scandal? Well, so this was the, the varsity blues scandal that, that was in the news for, for some time and it still pops up in the news from, from time to time. Um, so I, I, what I'll say about that is, is this, I, I think especially as a public institution, um, the, the accountability that comes with being a public institution is critical. Um, and I think when, when varsity blues happened and, and the involvement that UCLA had in that, I will say it was, you know, it was an athletic scandal. It was not an admission scandal. It wasn't anything that really involved, uh, you know, my staff or, or my office. But certainly, it was a process that we are, are actively involved in and, and responsible for. Um, I, I think it was awful. I mean, I, I think the influence that um, that was levied on 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 people that that should have had more integrity in how they, uh, you know, presented candidates in our process um, is is something that was rightfully called out. Um, I think we're, we're happy that we're aware. I think we've made a lot of positive changes to ensure that kind of thing doesn't happen again. And we brought in outside groups and, and are getting feedback on how to really, uh, you know, plug any of those holes in our process. And we've, we've really made a lot of improvement. So I, I'm proud of what we've done. Um, you know, it was, it was a, uh, uh, only a, a couple of cases, but it, it really doesn't matter. I think even if it's just one, it's something that, um, that I think is, uh, is awful, and I, I think as we learned about that and understood what took place, uh, we quickly acted to ensure that uh, those that were involved were held accountable, and that uh, we we did everything we can to ensure it doesn't happen again. Well, I'm so grateful that you have such integrity and that you're at the helm at UCLA. Um, it sort of uh, harkens mm -hmm. back to um, what you mentioned earlier about uh, authenticity and the importance of being yourself and presenting who you really are and trusting that that is enough and that if you have a good list um, and if you apply broadly, you will find yourself in the right place. Yeah. Um, so with that, I just want to say thank you so much, Gary. I'm going to allow Kelsey to come on back into the studio and see if there's any uh, questions that our listeners might have. Um. <clears throat> um, wow, so many words of wisdom, first from Gary and then from Jenny just now, you know, trusting that you're enough. I think it's a lifelong project for all of us. Um, yeah, so thank you guys so much for sharing such insightful, you know, valuable kind of behind the scenes 
um, knowledge. And I want to encourage everybody who's watching to please consider the questions that you still have remaining, because I can almost guarantee you that if you have a question, somebody else probably has it too. So I want to encourage you to pop it into the comments box, whatever platform you're watching on, and we'll get to the, as many as we can. But while we're waiting for people to put their questions in, I have a question of my own, if you don't mind. Um, in my work with students, I work with a lot of students, and basically two things they're really worried about right now um, this year. Number one is the test optional movement. And I, I really appreciate, I think, that what you guys spoke to tonight was directly at the heart of what students are worrying about. And if they're not worrying about it, what what maybe they should reconsider um, with travel plans and doing, doing things to get test scores in when they really don't need to. Um, but the second thing that um, I get a lot of questions about is regarding also COVID-19, um, regarding, you know, they had all these great plans for summer and they got canceled and they're really disappointed mm -hmm. that they can't show those in the activities section. Um, mm -hmm. Or the personal insight questions, they're hearing all kinds of different things from different people. They're hearing definitely don't write about COVID-19. They're going to be overwhelmed. Everybody's going to write about, don't write about or it's New York, no, I have to write about it. Don't I have to write about right. it? Hey, but do I have to write about it? So I'm wondering if you could give us some insight about those two things, how to address the things you wanted to do and you couldn't do, or like your kind of change in your time, and then also the writing piece, of course. Sure, no, I, I appreciate you asking that because it is something we're, we're getting questions about quite a bit. So to, to the first point, I, I would say, you know, first I really feel for students. I, I feel I feel for faculty, you know, parents who, you know, home became the classroom, uh, you know, very unexpectedly, you know, teachers who had to adapt their lesson plans to, to being administered online. It's all really challenging, but, but certainly I feel for the students because um, they had to adapt as well. And a lot of the things, you know, that, that helped to give them the energy to, to focus and, and do well academically, a lot of students get that energy from some of the other things that they do outside of class, whether it's activities or involvement, things that they're doing that really, really fuel them in a lot of ways and that they're really passionate about. And many of those things have been taken away from students. Um, and, and that's tough, you know, so, so first I want you to know that I and my office and college and admission officers across the country get it. Like we know um, that this spring and summer is unlike any spring and summer that really anybody has ever experienced. Um, and so we know those limitations are in place um, and, and we recognize it. We're not secretly looking for the student who managed to maneuver their way into that internship over the summer or, you know, a student who somehow found a way to stay involved in, in this virtually and, and, and their, their friends didn't. That's, that's you know, we, we get that spring 2020 and summer 2020, there's a big old asterisk associated with those two terms for everybody. So I, I feel for you, we feel for you and know that that's something that we're not looking to hold that against you in the admission process. You know, we're, we're human beings ourselves. We dealt with the impacts of that time period as well. So we're gonna be very understanding of, you know, any, any kind of bare blank paper during that time, because we know there weren't a lot of opportunities for students to engage. So don't stress it. That's one of those, don't worry about it because it's not something that was, that was within your control. In terms of writing, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I would say in the UC app, so in the common application, they've, I think, provided a prompt. Um, for students to be able to respond to anything related to COVID-19 that they want to share. The UC app has not added a prompt. Um, we have our eight personal insight questions, students choose four of them to respond to, but we also have an additional comment section. And that's where we're encouraging students, if they want to share something, um, a, a, a 
some example that uh, in which COVID-19 has impacted them directly, they can do that in the additional comments section. But I wanna be clear that we don't expect students to do that. Um, if you have been impacted, heaven forbid, you or a family member has, has been directly impacted by COVID, maybe somebody's lost wages or lost a job and that had an impact on your life in some specific way, absolutely, you should feel comfortable sharing that. But I want everybody else to hear, if that's not you, and it's just been, this has been tough because it has been tough for everybody, don't feel like you have to write about that. Like, don't feel like you have to manufacture, you know, a, a COVID essay if there isn't something that immediately springs to mind as, this is how it impacted me and my family. Wonderful, that's that's hugely helpful. And I really hope that everybody out there takes Gary's words to heart. It's all about that authenticity piece, it sounds like. And the other thing to remember is that these admissions offices, these schools, they're full of real people. And they're all in these jobs because they really actually do care. And you can see that from Gary, but I think that that's true in general in the field. So these are not, people who are looking for robot teenagers. They're looking for real people experiencing real things and they really feel for you. Um, and so just, just keep that in mind. Uh, we have a couple of other questions that have come through. Um, I have one person who's wondering for a little bit more light to be shed on the athletics admissions process. Can you share a little bit about that, Gary? Sure, so <clears throat> when, when it comes to, we're a division one program, Pac-12 uh, school. Um, so for division one athletics, to, I'll state it very simply and then I'll elaborate. You, you're either a recruited athlete or not. Um, and generally, you know if you're being recruited by one of the coaches for a particular sport. Um, and, and you often know that maybe, you know, as junior year or certainly by senior year, you know if you've been in contact with a coach and they're interested in recruiting you potentially for a program. Um, students apply to, to UCLA and fill out the UC app as any other student would. Um, we're going to read the application, but we also have what's called a student athlete admission committee um, that's staffed by faculty uh, and, and staff from my office um, and representatives from athletics will present candidates who are being recruited by the coaches, but ultimately they don't have a vote and ultimately who's admitted to the institution. So if the coaches recruit students, they present them to us. They present a number of credentials associated with those students to validate their experience and, and participation in, in the sports that they're a part of. And then ultimately this, this student athlete admission committee uh, comprised of faculty and staff will ultimately make the decision about whether that student will be supported for, for admission. Um, so ultimately the student has to be seen as a student who can be successful and competitive in a pretty rigorous environment at UCLA. That's the kind of thing that we're considering uh, in, in that committee process. And then ultimately the student can't be admitted without support uh, from that committee. So, you know, oftentimes you'll hear, you know, commitment, so-and-so is committed to this place and they're a junior or a sophomore in high school. They may have committed, but the institution hasn't necessarily committed to that student until they have a national letter of intent and until they've been admitted by the admission office. So with UCLA, until you have a letter signed with my name at the bottom, um, you, you haven't been admitted. Wonderful, thank you. Um, then I have another question that just came in, um, wondering about merit scholarships. Um, will a student without test scores be considered for merit-based scholarships now in the UC system? Absolutely, um, you know, and I, I, I can speak certainly for my campus that there's no scholarship that we administer out of my office or out of our financial aid and scholarships office that requires that a student present a standardized test score. Um, so there's not gonna be any change to our, our approach based on whether a student submits a standardized test score or not. Now there are private scholarships that are kind of outside of college and universities, you know, independently funded scholarships that students can apply for that may still require standardized testing. 
Um, but those are small in number and, and often not, not huge monetary scholarships. Um, but those are, are independent. They're not really controlled by or decided. You know, the students who receive it isn't, isn't decided by my office. Um, so for us, any scholarship that is kind of one of our main scholarships administered at UCLA, you know, whether you submit standardized testing or not, isn't going to have an impact on your likelihood of getting the scholarship. Wonderful. That's hugely useful. And I hope it's a relief to hear. Um, thank you for everybody who's asking these great questions. We've got another one, uh, which is an interesting one. It's not one I've asked before. Um, person is wondering if it would negatively affect a student if they apply to many UCs. For example, if UCLA is a student's first choice, is it better for them to apply only to UCLA? Would it negatively impact them if they send applications to five or six different UCs? It's a great it question. I'm, I'm really glad somebody asked that question because this is one of these myths that I, I enjoy debunking. Um, you know, there is one application for the entire UC system, and I think that's part of where this, this kind of myth comes from. Um, when you fill out the application, you indicate which of the campuses you'd like to apply to. Um, you submit a separate application fee for each campus that you're applying to, or if you receive a fee waiver, you can apply to up to four campuses utilizing that fee waiver. Um, once you click submit on the application, because it's actually housed at the office of the president, they then kind of farm the data out to the individual campuses for us to then evaluate and make admission decisions. Mm -hmm. I could care less where else you've applied within the system. Um, it, it has absolute, we don't, we don't look at it, we don't consider it. It's not anything that I know uh, or our readers know uh, when they're reading apps or making, uh, ultimately my office making an admission decision. Um, I think there's always this idea that we're kind of peeking over the fence to see what's happening at the other campuses and that absolutely does not happen. Once that application has been submitted, you're being considered individually and independently by each of the campuses that you apply to. Wonderful. Especially, especially when you're not sleeping at all. That's a great lead definitive answer. I've got a couple more questions. I'm wondering if you've got time for just one or two more. Yeah, okay, please. Great. Um, one, another person is asking if the FAFSA is required to be considered for UCLA merit-based scholarships. So that, that's a good question, and there, there's some nuance to that. So <clears throat> to be considered for financial aid of any kind at UCLA, you have to submit the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Um, it's, it's kind of a universal thing that's, that's required to apply for financial aid at, at any college or university. Um, there, I would, I'm trying to think if there are any merit scholarships that we award that do not require the FAFSA. So the only thing that I can think of um, that you could be considered for without potentially submitting a FAFSA might be our alumni scholarships. Um, and those are, they're not for children of alumni, they're just funded by UCLA alumni. Um, they are merit scholarships. They don't, they're not tied to whether you have need or not. Um, so that's a scholarship that a student could be considered for uh, without having uh, submitted a FAFSA. Um, but I think it's generally a good idea if you are applying to a college to consider submitting the FAFSA, because even if you might not get aid, it does allow colleges to maybe consider you for a broader range of potential scholarships than if they didn't have that, uh, that information. So I, I would say when in doubt, uh, take the time to fill out the FAFSA. Wonderful. Um, and then I've got one more so far, nothing else has come in yet. Um, how will the great number of new applicants taking a gap year this year affect next year's admissions? Good question. <clears throat> That's a good question. Yeah, um, and it's it's one I've gotten fairly frequently. So just so you know, for for UCLA, this is our our general approach. 
to defer our requests, and then I'll talk about kind of what we've done this year and, and how it's a little bit different. So our general approach is we don't grant deferrals. Um, you know, the only times we will grant a deferral is in cases of like military service or if there's a religious commitment of some kind on the part of the student, um, or if, you know, heaven forbid, there's some real health issue that's happening that precludes a student from, from enrolling in the fall. We consider those on an individual basis. The student submits a request to my office and we ultimately will communicate back to the student whether we're able to grant that deferral. Now in, in this year with, with the impact of COVID-19, um, we've extended that to a degree to say that if, if a student or their family has been impacted by COVID specifically, similar to what I said before, either you know, the health of the student or their family or a loss of wages or a job as a result of the pandemic, then we're also considering those requests and, and making accommodations in, in a number of cases for students that request that. We are not deferring students who, who say I would prefer to be in person versus online. You know, we are offering, you know, what we think is really an extraordinary um, experience. It, look, we would all prefer to be in person, but I think we and lots of other colleges have really invested heavily to offer a wonderful experience for our students, uh, even if it is virtual uh, in nature. So the short answer after the long answer to your question is what we've done in terms of deferrals this year will have zero impact on the number of students that we're interested in enrolling or how many students we might admit next year. Um, the numbers have stayed relatively small. We really haven't gotten a huge number of requests. They're not, not strikingly different from the numbers that we've seen in, in previous years. Um, and I think that's because, you know, almost all colleges and universities are, are approaching this year in a way that's, that's virtual in some way. Um, and so I think students recognize that and are just going to you know, work with us to really make make the best of a of a different year and 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 make it a good experience. Wonderful, thank you, thank you so much. So um, I'm gonna wrap it up here, and I just want to say, you know, as a group that's trying to reach as many families, as many students as we possible can, possibly can, to provide more information, more valuable information, and better access to college. I want to thank you so much for joining us, Gary, and for sharing your obvious care for the students for this work and for letting us kind of get a peek behind the curtain and see through mm -hmm. your eyes for the evening we really appreciate it of course thank you yeah and i also just i want to speak to anybody who's watching i want to let you know if you feel like you might need more information and nobody would blame you if you did not only are there already you know 2000 plus undergraduate schools out there before the pandemic forgetting about the pandemic um, but now there's all of these changes. If you feel like you need more information, know just that even if you want to talk, the first step with us is just a free phone call. Um, we would be more than happy to talk to you about your specific circumstances, what to think about. And honestly, even what to think about can be so hugely helpful because you just don't know what you don't know. Um, and we can help give you insight. And our goal is to help. We just want to help. So um, if you call and you get what you need there, fantastic. If you need more help and you want to work one-on-one, -on -one, fantastic. We just are here to help as many people as we can. I want to encourage you also to follow us on social media, to find our website, and um, just get as much as you can from our free community resources, because we're trying to just be on the ball with as much new stuff, as many conversations with um, in the note it, admissions people as like Gary as we possibly can. I want to say thank you all so much for staying with us tonight. And we will be having a couple more uh, talks coming up 
Um, we have one uh, planned for September 3rd. If you follow us with Pomona, um, our, uh, our speaker will be talking a little bit about the value of a liberal arts education. And then we will be uh, hearing from CMC the following week. Um, my colleague will be talking about the college interview. So I hope you will join us. I hope you will just keep learning and taking advantage of all of these opportunities and resources at your fingertips. And we all, we all wish you the best. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thanks.